Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Detour Life. Detour Life is a game changer for both family law professionals and clients alike. Detour Life is an innovative online program which guides clients to easily input and organize the exhaustive document and financial disclosure process and provides professionals with streamlined and secure case management. In addition, Detour Life has comprehensive client onboarding, a secure document repository, income and expense sync, parenting plan agreement features, and much more. I use Detour Life myself, and honestly, one of my favorite features, and one that my clients love as well, is that they can securely link all of their financial accounts directly to the Detour Life platform so that their information is automatically uploaded and updated as time goes on. So whether you're getting a divorce or are a divorce professional, I urge you to check it out yourself. Go to Detour Life, that's D-T-O-U-R dot L-I-F-E, and sign up for their free 14-day trial. Then use code SUSAN20 to get 20% off a subscription. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. The changes we see in um, the general population in terms of gender roles or supporting a person's career or even having your own, um, have they're slower, I think, to disperse in the military, but, but they're coming along. But they're probably a, a little bit behind the general population for, for a lot of various reasons. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today is the last day of November, the day this this podcast is launching, and November is Military Family Appreciation Month. So I'm very happy to be doing this episode today because we do want to show our appreciation to our military families, and I want to honor my guest who brought this idea for the episode to me, um, Christina Kaiser. We actually met when um, I was doing the episode, which you all may remember, with Wendy Dolan, uh, the episode that just might save your life, and I know many, many, many of you listened to that episode, Um, but Christina works with Wendy at MIST, and Christina mentioned to me that she is the wife of, or was the wife of a former military officer and then went through uh, what I'm going to call a military divorce and that this might be a very good episode. And I, there's so much to know about military families, the, the sacrifices and struggles that they have, as well as the additional struggles that military families have when divorce enters their worlds. So I just want to say, Christina, thank you so much for the idea for this episode and for agreeing to be a guest with me today. Thank you for having me, Susan. I'm delighted. 
you know, this is, I just, to give a little of your background, because in addition to being a former military wife and married to a former uh, military officer, you yourself have over 20 years of professional experience in communications. And I think people are going to be able to see that when um, <laughs> when you, when we get a chance to, to speak some more. And you do work um, on the board at USA Safe Patient Network and with Wendy at MIST. Yes, I've been very fortunate to be able to align my professional and academic background with social justice issues and public health issues that really matter to me. So I'm very thankful. Well, and that's, a, you know, that's something I thought it was a wonderful idea when you raised to me, you know, we did the MIST episode, the Akathisia episode in October, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And that's when you mentioned to me that November is Military Family Appreciation Month, which I'm embarrassed to say I did not know. And I come <laughs> from a family, I'm married into a family with a number of Marines and ah. um, Army veterans in the family. Um, so so although November is well known for having Veterans Day, I don't know if everyone knows that it's Military Family Appreciation Month. So I'm very happy that we're talking about this because you have that insider perspective. And we were just talking about it's difficult to be a member of a military family, even if you're not the one in the military. It, it really is, Susan. I'm glad to speak with you about that today. I mean, when I first got married in the late 80s, I remember... Um, I moved out from, I had a national level job in DC and literally the day after my wedding, I was I moved to California. So there was a lot of change there. Um, a lot of happiness, but a lot of losses in terms of my professional career at that time and leaving and starting a new job and leaving my friend. But one thing I, I kind of have in my scrapbook, uh, so to speak, is that I received for my wedding, um, the Marine Officer's Wife Handbook. And at that time, I thought it was maybe a joke. So when I opened up the presents and saw that, I thought, well, this is going to be like an Irma bomb back. This is going to be a, a funny spoof on things. But I quickly learned that that was a serious handbook. And um, at the time I became an officer's wife, I think it was just on the cusp of starting to change, but you still had that... I don't want to say old-fashioned, but, you know, I still remember reading in that military handbook for Marine officers' wives, you know, about wearing your gloves and, and you should put your silver tray by the front door so the calling cards can be put there. And it was just um, very unusual for me, but also you could see it was on the cusp of changing, but the handbook hadn't yet been updated, especially because it also said Marine officers' wives' handbook. And of course, now here we are decades later, and it's really the Marine Spouses Association or the Military Officers Spouse Association, uh, because there are so many females serving in the military that just it's much more common than when I first uh, became a, a young officer's wife. It's when you talk about putting the little silver tray next to the front door. So my grandmother, that, that this should date it. My grandmother went to Miss Porter's school in Connecticut, the ladies, you know, teacher okay. to be a nice lady with her gloves and all that. And sure. my grandmother always had that tray by the front door and Absolutely. calling cards that just, 
You were always Mrs. William Woodward Guthrie yes, III. Indeed. You know, that was her name. Uh, so that does seem a little archaic, um, and hopefully they've they've modified that now. But that is something that I've heard about the military, um, even yeah. today, is that it still has somewhat, you know, gender... So societal norms that are having a little bit harder time changing than maybe the rest of the world. I think that's a, a really good, fair and accurate way to put it is that the changes we see in um, the general population in terms of gender roles or supporting a person's career or even having your own, um, have they're slower, I think, to disperse in the military, but, but they're coming along. But they're probably a, a little bit behind the general population for, for a lot of various reasons. But one thing I'm very happy about today is that there's several associations that um, now exist or existed before but are more actively involved in helping military spouses um, keep their careers, uh, grow with their careers. Um, instead of having to every two years uh, find a new job that's maybe not going to be a job for promotion or maybe it's a job that's lower than your skill set. I think that telecommuting and work from home and the Internet, you know, have really helped. But also organizations like the National Military Family Association, uh, lots of associations that want to make life better for military families have also focused on making sure that um, nurses, teachers, therapists who happen to be married to military spouses don't have to retrain every few years to get a certification in each state. They're trying to unify, make it more uniform certification for those programs. And also there's several scholarships available for like the National Military Family Association has scholarships for uh, military spouses who need to update their certification when they move. So um, I'd like to just encourage our, our listeners today to go on and look at those kind of programs because there are things that weren't there when I became a military spouse. Well, and I that's such a good point because you mentioned earlier when we were speaking that you left your career or you had to leave your career when you got married. And that's actually something I've handled a number of divorces where um, I've represented a spouse who was married to someone in the military. And in many cases, their careers have taken a major, if not complete, hit because of all the moving around, which you were just referencing. Yep. The fact that they couldn't get on promotional tracks because they were going to be moving. So there's a lot of impediments to a being the spouse of someone in the military from a career perspective. You know, there are, I'll just say I, I got my dream job in, uh, in L.A. at Hill and Knowlton advertising and PR firm. And it was just, oh, this is like what I've just dreamed for. And I, I, I couldn't take it because we were going to move. And I didn't want to be a geographic bachelorette because I just, that wasn't that common back then. And I didn't think that would be helpful for my marriage, which was really important to me. But I also had to, I guess, mourn the loss because when you work really hard and you go to a great school and you get wonderful grades and you think you're going to have a great career and you fall in love with someone in the military, well, it doesn't mean you can't have a great career, but it's going to be 
it's going to be harder and more challenging to find that job that you can move with or that will help you when you do move. So that was uh, that was disappointing. I, I still sometimes go by there on Wilshire Boulevard and <laughs> what if? But I guess the happy thing is that um, the need to kind of have a broad-based skill set when I was a young military wife, it um, it helped me get more certifications. It, it put me in a, I still use my communications field, but I specialize, if you will, in education. So I started my own business after my kids were a little older. And I think got my master's. So out of adversity, I I made it work for me, but it doesn't mean that we don't want to do things as a society to help military families, uh, you know, spouses and children alike. Right. Well, and I think what's important for people to notice, because I think that there's still, you've talked about programs going into place to try and help with this, but I still think that anyone who is married to someone male or female in the military today is going to face career challenges of certain oh, kinds or have to absolutely. pick careers that can telecommute because of the constant moving. How often did you move? Um, gosh, you know, I have to count it all up. The first five years, maybe four times. Uh, I don't know if I had mentioned as we were chatting earlier, but my first anniversary, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and on my first anniversary, it wasn't that very date, but on my first anniversary, uh, my then-husband deployed. So, to go from, like, Washington, D.C., where I worked by the Pentagon, he worked at the Marine headquarters in in DC when you're wearing when you're not wearing combat uniform and you're wearing a, a, a more of a, a dress suit, it's hard sometimes to remember that the person you're married to is going to be called in harm's way. It's like you have a you kind of forget about the combat part. But my first year of marriage, we were stationed at Camp Pendleton, California, and my first anniversary, um, he went to Desert Storm. So. That first eight months of my second year was quite a challenge because as the commanding officer's wife, at the time he was a tank commander, I was I was in a, my young 20s and I didn't know much at all about the military. And all of a sudden I was, what they told me, I was the key wife. I was like the head wife that was supposed to organize the other wives in the company. And I said, well... I work full-time. At the time, I was working in marketing for the headquarters of Caldwell Banker International Real Estate in Newport Beach. And I said, oh, um, these, this is, a, this is, um, this is, I wanted to help, but I was about the only one, I think, that worked full-time. And it, it made me feel, I don't want to say odd, but it was, it was an odd situation that I was working full-time because most of the spouses back then they were all wives. They, they, they had some careers, but they didn't necessarily work full time for, for lack of, you know, internet and, and digital jobs. But anyway, I, I was a key wife and I was happy with how I helped when um, the guys were deployed. And at the same time, I've always had a, I want to say a feminist streak, but I come from a, a family and a mother who had a, was very interested in equality issues to my benefit. And I couldn't help but think even early on in my marriage that this is uh, 
this is a challenge and it seemed to fall mostly on on the wives and uh and that that's uh i think that's um i don't want to say a burden but i i would hope that military spouses today male and female i would hope we would take a moment not just in november when we have veterans day or military family appreciation month but to recognize that behind a good soldier or a good airman or a good marine or i should say air force uh, instead of airman but yeah. behind a great service person is a spouse male and female that has helped them be able to efficiently do their job and take care of the fort at home and now it's not a gender issue it's just a matter of being a good supporting spouse Right well but you also point out something that I think is very interesting because your husband's role in the military put you in a role among the spouses right like your right. role you had a job to do as the yeah. key 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 wife Yeah I was a yeah. key, what they call key wife yeah Right um, so you had a role but it's an I'm assuming an unpaid role and it was a, a not clearly defined role um but because your husband was in charge on his side of the fence in the military that put you in charge on your yeah. side of the fence in a non-official way And and very difficult role especially when you consider that I was working full time but um, I'm glad you said that because I was I look I was always proud of my former husband when I was married proud of what he did as an officer I I want to say um but I also wanted and had my own to the best of my ability career goals career graduate school but one thing I was going to say is that at 22 or 23 I was I think it was difficult for me when I was a key wife in the the um Marines were at war because the women with whom I had things in common who were close to my age maybe getting postgraduate certifications maybe they were working um they were the ones that I had more in common with but the women who were the wives of my then husband's peers the majors they were changing diapers because they had young kids and they were just at a different stage in their life and so I found myself a little bit lonely because the wives with whom I might have something in common with that were closer to my age they were often the wives of marines that my husband was the boss of so right. he didn't they didn't want to hang out with their husband's boss's wife, wife. Yeah. and then to hang out with someone who was 10 years ahead of me and was changing diapers which was fine but I wasn't at that point in my life doing that kind of job. So it was it was challenging. I would imagine. And and you've just raised another what I assume was a challenge when you did have children. What is it like to co-parent with a spouse who's in the military? Yeah, that was interesting. Um I I have two children, a daughter Natalie who died when she was 19, which we'll get to later. Natalie was my firstborn and then I had a son Conrad who's now 24. Um but it was a challenge um Natalie was born with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and it was pretty serious at the time it was diagnosed at that time we were living in um DC area and 
the Bethesda Naval Hospital was a pretty good place to get care. But what I learned then and what I'm happy to talk about today is that um, there's an exceptional family members program in the military. And it had just started out when Natalie was maybe one or two, but it was very much in its infancy. So if you had an exceptional family member, say a wife had cancer or a child has juvenile rheumatoid arthritis or diabetes or whatever the exceptional family member status might be. At the time that I was um, a younger wife, it really could hurt your career because there were only a few places that you could get specialized care. And it's improved now. I think that there's specialized care at more military bases, but also there's more opportunity to go outside of the military for your health care, which is really important. But also I think that they've become more compassionate about um, caring for the family overall in terms of, it used to be there was a saying, and I'm sure some of your viewers will remember it. It was, if the Marine Corps wanted you to have a wife, it would have issued you one. And they used nice. to say that, and they were joking, but it was kind of a, it wasn't, it had a sting to it, you know. It was still a yeah. joke, but it, it, it was a joke. They had some background there. Um, and I think that, that that's not, that's not a joke that would be accurate now or really uh, well accepted. So I guess what I'm saying is when more women came into the military and um, there was a better focus on, you know, better understanding about stereotypical gender roles and how that maybe doesn't help the military member and the military family, I think that we've, we've gone in the right direction. But I do think, though, too, that when I first got married, it was no doubt about it that the military spouse was supposed to help the military member's career. And I am telling you, I think for guys who weren't married, if I'll say guys, since they were mostly guys then, but um, I think it would have been hard in the early 80s to make it up the ranks high without having a supporting partner at home. Well, because you were you were playing a role in their advancement. Right. But that point you just made there that maybe people didn't catch is that, you know, one of the ways, the main ways that you move up the ranks in the military is being moved around to different bases and taking right. roles. But if you have an extraordinary family member, a family member with an illness, your your choices of where you could go could sometimes be limited right. and the military didn't exactly recognize that. So it so then you were really causing a strain on the entire family. Not only are they under the strain of having an extraordinary family member, but Absolutely. the military member might have issues about advancing their career. So something else that our military families deal with that so many of us are not even aware of. I'd like to take a moment now to tell you about my favorite co-parenting app, FAIR. There are other apps out there, but FAIR is the only one that I recommend to my clients. We know that divorce is never easy, and when children are in the picture, it can be really tricky, especially when you're trying to communicate with your ex, and that's a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. It helps to eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. 
Here's what the FAIR app can do. It has a time-sharing calendar, documentable text messaging, an expense tracker, a GPS check-in, and by the way, no one else has that, a monthly parenting report, a private journal, a file vault, and importantly, you can export all of the records into a convenient and time and date stamped PDF when you need it for your attorney or for court, and there's a Spanish version of the app as well. So subscribe at BeFair.com, that's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com, and then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. You can go to FAIR.com for more details and use the discount code SUSANG18 to receive 20% off. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Christina Kaiser, talking about the challenges of marriage and divorce in military families. It takes a lot of money and time to train a person, and so it's natural to say that a lot of times, if you're going to be transient, a company has to decide, or maybe they do decide, that they won't even look at that person who's qualified because it's not cost-effective. If you are enjoying this episode, check out the dad dilemma positive fatherhood with tommy maloney it, it was hard it my former wife is uh, you know an a personality and i'm as laid back as they come and so it was an eye-opener of oh my gosh what i i'm now a dad part two really and how can i spend quality time with connor and also, you know, give him a, a positive life. And now we return to today's show. Absolutely. And some of those families, then the spouse, the military member, goes away for like a one-year tour of duty. And that's hard, too. I, I do remember that um, I was when I was married, I remember my then-spouse, um, he um, had an opportunity for um, embassy duty. And Natalie had already been diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And I remember talking to the military wife of the Marine officer who was already there. And it was a wonderfully um, interesting assignment. It was in South Africa. And it just sounded like such an exciting opportunity to go someplace different. But ultimately, I think my then husband didn't put in for it or we decided against it because it just was too risky of a place when you don't have a specialist in, in this case, was rheumatology. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that those, those kind of, I guess, challenges still occur, but not to the same level that they did in the, in the early 90s. Well, and then there's there had to be an additional strain of raising a family with one parent who might be absent for long expanses, back for a period of time, then gone. You know, that yeah. that had to be a strain on your family and on you as well. It, it was, and I, I'll say that um, because my then spouse was in Desert Storm, he was gone for a long time, and so his overseas control date, they called it, had changed. So he... He actually wasn't gone as much as I thought he would be just because of that long desert storm, desert shield thing. But um, but what I will say is that they they work long hours even if they're not deployed or they're not doing training exercises. And 
And I think because I married, I don't know if I mentioned, but I was 10 years younger than my spouse and I married in my young 20s. So 10 years between 22 and 32, that's a lot more of a, I think a difference than say 55 and 65 or 45 right. and 55. So um, I... I think that my then husband, because he had been a bachelor for so long, he kind of kept up the same hours. I think there was this, um, not saying there wasn't a desire to be a good spouse, but I don't think he, I don't think he understood about time boundaries because he was, he, he had spent a lot of years by himself as a bachelor. And also he went to the Naval Academy and was, very much you you stay till the job is done. And I think that's a great work ethic. I don't necessarily think it always works for families to have that kind of, I guess, mentality every day. So the balance is hard in the military, I think. The balance is hard. It's almost like having two spouses, right? You're almost married (laughs) to the military, it sounds like. If I please one, I can't please the other. Right, right. Well, and and so these are all things I I just don't know that everyone appreciates about the difficulties of being a military family. But then, you know, this I've mentioned earlier, when I lived in San Diego for a few years, uh, that because that's such a, I think there's a military base for every branch of the military in San Diego. uh, I think at least 50% of the divorces I was involved with in my practice, at least 50% had one or both of the parties who were either active military or had been in the military. And yep. when you get divorced, which is an experience that you then went through with with your now ex-husband. I did. Getting divorced from a person who is in the military or has been in the military, there are layers of complication from their military service that also permeate the divorce process. Isn't that, isn't that right? I, I, I think that that's an absolutely fair and accurate assessment. I mean, there's a lot to consider. Uh, not just in terms of benefits in a military divorce, but some of the contributions that maybe we've talked about earlier in the show today, but not specific to my situation. But, you know, if you're if you're staying home and the full-time caregiver of kids, that is allowing your spouse, husband or wife, whomever, it is affording them the opportunity to, to continue with their career. So when I got divorced... I got divorced in Virginia. I, I filed for divorce in Virginia. And Virginia is what they call an equity state that I'm sure you're familiar with. It's not an equal state. So they that means that there are three or four criteria. Basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but the length of the marriage, what the person contributed, what are the assets. Virginia, even on paper, at least, they still say that they take into account sometimes the reasoning, which is not very common anymore that you see that. But anyway, there were lots of different, um, I guess, factors in Virginia, and I suppose in other states that you have to take into account. And in my case, because I did leave a national career, and even though I did get my master's and I did open my own business, I still was the primary caregiver for our children. So that was taken into account when I divorced, as it should be. Um, has nothing to do with gender. It just happened to be in my situation that I, I was the wife. But I think that's really important for us to remember what people sacrificed to support the military member and 
that they not be a gray divorce. I mean, I got divorced, you know, I guess you could call it a gray divorce. And um, you can't, can't just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, you know, you can go rebuild your career because not that I'm not a gung-ho person, I'm very much a lifelong learner, but it's, it's, in, it's impractical and probably um, improbable to think that a person can interrupt their career for 15, 20 years every, and then they're going to catch up. It doesn't work that way because a lot of companies, as much as they do want to support military, companies have to make money too. And I think one thing you might have seen in your practice in San Diego is that it's hard on a resume. You don't want to be dishonest during an interview, obviously. It doesn't help you or your potential future boss. But, and you're not supposed to discriminate, of course, but when you see somebody, let's say they're at Fort Hood, Texas, and they go apply for a job and you see on their resume all the places they've been in their 18 months, 24 months, you know, it takes a lot of money and time to train a person. And so it's natural to say that a lot of times if you're going to be transient, a company has to decide or maybe they do decide that they won't even look at that person who's qualified because it's not cost effective. Right. Yeah, no, I think military spouses, you know, in the description, the the um, legal background or the factors applicable to alimony or spousal support, uh, they tend to be generally what you were describing there. But I can tell you, having been a divorce attorney for 30 years, that courts overall around the country are turning away from spousal support and they are much less a feeling that they should be giving it, yet we are still dealing with people like you who have been through this experience of not, it wasn't a, by choice that you weren't able to work at your chosen career. It was truly because your spouse was in military service to this country and wow. was moving around and, and doing their part, you suffered financially. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was proud of myself for all that I did accomplish, but it was that great effort, and it was uh, much more effort than I would have ever had had I not married a military member. So, yeah, I think it's really important for us to, you know, wives or husbands of military service members have a lot of unpaid duties. You can say it's volunteer, but if you care for your partner, you tend to want to support that partner. And I just think we need to um, consider that sacrifice um, and not, I mean, there's some new legislation that I think that, that they're looking at. And I know there's protections now for not, um, I guess, discriminating against the military spouse when they're applying for jobs. So we, we're, we're moving in the right direction, but it's not fast enough. And in my case, um, you know, I have to say some nice things about my ex. I mean, I got a most supportive wife award from the admiral, and it was my ex that, at the time I was married that did that. And when my daughter died, he uh, publicly spoke at her funeral and said I was an amazing, amazing wife and amazing mother. So, you know, I I don't want to uh, sound bitter. Um, I appreciate several of those things. But in my case, you know, I took marriage very seriously, and I, I had never imagined or nor wanted to think about that I would one day file for divorce. But our our values, I think, uh, sometimes our, be, our behavior and our values don't mirror each other. And I started 
realizing that some of its behaviors didn't mesh with my values and that, that, that it was time to build something new for myself. So um, that was kind of what led me to file is that I thought I, I need something uh, not necessarily new and different, but I, I think it's Dr. Debbie you had on the show that says, you know, sometimes patching things up like a house is just going to leave you with a house that has patch holes. And I, I realized that I, I didn't think that that was going to be the best solution for me. So I decided, well, this is the right solution for me and it's the right solution for my children. And I think what happened in my situation is my ex didn't want to get divorced. And I think it was hard for him to see that the contributions, which he publicly applauded and definitely, you know, uh, was uh, that I was the best thing that ever happened to him. So it wasn't like he was, you know, um, delusional. I don't want to say that, but I think he didn't understand that the contributions that you make as a military spouse and a full-time parent, um, they have a monetary value in terms of how that other spouse was able to progress in a career. And at the time I divorced, my ex was uh, a defense contractor, which was a job he got because of part his, his military career. career. Yeah. 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 And and I don't think that that's probably something that uh, is just, um, I guess, unique to the military. You probably see that, Susan. But I think spouses sometimes have a hard time recognizing that in the unfortunate event, if holy matrimony turns into holy hell or doesn't turn out to be what you thought, that um, there are different ways to assess someone's contribution to the assets and the potential. Right. And that's actually a, just a major um, overall overriding element of equitable distribution, which is uh, what you were referring to earlier, where we look to the non-monetary contributions right, of the right. non-breadwinner spouse. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, it's taking the law all the way around, not just in military families, a long time to catch up. But right. one of the things that is harmful, and we only have a minute to touch on this, but I do want to make sure we bring it up, because it's not just in the area um, of spousal support where we see complications arising out of having been a military spouse at the time of divorce. It's also that some of the benefits that you re that want the military um, person who served in the military receives from the federal government right. by reason of their military service, those cannot be divided in the divorce. So the spouse ends up not being able to benefit from them, or you have to be very careful at the time of the divorce from, a, from someone who was in the military. Absolutely. And as I know, you will encourage our listeners today Make sure that whether you go through mediation or you go to an attorney for, I guess, a traditional type settlement, make sure you have someone who understands military um, divorce. Because I've read horror stories online where it wasn't, the quadro wasn't done properly or the person didn't calculate correctly. And now they either have to go back into court or maybe they've even missed it altogether. For example, health care benefits. Um, you know, if you don't qualify for TRICARE for Life, you do have, I think it's one year or so to get 
a private health care from TRICARE, which is a good health care program. And I just think it's difficult because people who are getting divorced have a lot of stress. And if you take that stress and you realize that you're already suffering from some loss, grief, maybe shock, maybe betrayal, whatever the reasons are, and there's not a one-stop shop that I know of to go online and ask all your questions. So I would just encourage our listeners to make sure you get a qualified professional who has experience handling. Uh, in my case, I was uh, the, the wife of a veteran, but even though it was no longer in the military, the military benefits were very important in the pension. So just make sure that you have someone who's experienced in that kind of settlement. Yeah, it's a it really is a very different ball of wax than your average pension or your average health benefits, whatever that might be. So I have to second what you're saying, Christina. It's yeah. very important to get a military benefits specialist when you're when you're getting divorced, whether you're in the military, whether your spouse is in the military, or if you are veterans or have already been in the military. Um, it's just key importance. Um, so I, I, you know, we can't get through everything, but I think it's so wonderful to get the perspective of someone who truly put years of service in, and now I'm not talking about your husband, I'm talking about you. You put years of service in, in aid of our country, in supporting your husband and his ex-husband in his military career. So first let me say to you, thank you. You are Thank appreciated. You. And I want to say that to all our military families out there who are listening to us. Um, if nothing else, this episode, I hope, gives everyone a little window into the true sacrifice and hard work and, you know, truly what our military families face. I appreciate you saying that, Susan, because if there's one thing I'll, uh, I'll say today just with everything that's going on in the world globally with the pandemic and with the politics in the U.S., what have you. Um, one thing I really like to stress is that everybody can support our troops and should support our troops, which is very different than saying that you are talking about policy. So, you know, we can disagree about different kinds of uh, wars or whatever policies, but I think everybody um, can agree that we support our military families and that politics has nothing to do with that. It's just the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I just encourage everyone out there to remember that. And if you know someone who is in a military family, always thank your service member, but thank their family too. The whole Absolutely. family is in service to our country. So, Christina, thank you. I, I know you wanted to let people know it's almost Giving Tuesday. So, I, I, you know, oh, I want, yeah. you wanted Thanks. to make a... You know, I, 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 I lost my daughter in 2013. Her death was precipitated by an adverse drug effect. And I won't go into that because Wendy Dolan in your previous show did such a good job covering that. But I would just say... Um, out of loss and grief, I like to do something good with my experiences. And Tuesday, tomorrow is going to be Giving Tuesday. So um, I would just ask whoever or wherever you're going to make your donations, please consider checking out risk.org, which is rxisk.org. It's a nonprofit that works to help make medication safer for all. 
uh, mist.co, which is the uh, Wendy Dolan's foundation and uh, USA Patient Network. Those are three nonprofits that work to make medication and medical care safer and more effective for everyone. So whatever your charity is, just don't forget tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. And thank you for that. I will have a link to all three of those charities in the show notes. Um, I do encourage people to, if you have not yet listened to Wendy Dolan's wonderful episode, um, please go listen to that. I will also have a link to Wendy's episode in the show notes. But Christina, I do, I really want to thank you. Just bringing me the idea for this episode, raising awareness of what our military families face and go through. and, And again, for your own personal sacrifices. So thank you so much. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.